You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, Terminator gives us salvation from Judgment Day. Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas, and you are the resistance. And I'm Thomas Mariani, and I know now why you popped, but it is something I could never do. Oh, boy. <laughs> I think a podcast would be pretty awful, I, I would say. Or the best thing. Ever. Just it, it, doing a podcast? Yeah, yes. Yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> if you've seared any of his audio commentaries, they are great for all the wrong reasons, for sure. Huh? But, uh, Adam, we're not the only ones here, because we have a guest here for the evening. Uh, he does some, uh, you know, uh, film talk on uh, his YouTube channel, and he's... Uh, I have met on another podcast, uh, and he's a, a pretty swell dude. It's Mr. Mel Gore. Mel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. And I don't have a, a funny line from any of the Terminator movies to recite here because I was unprepared. We didn't either. It's fine. <laughs> we really did. Uh, but, Mel, welcome on. And I invited you onto the show after I met you on uh, Friend of the Show, Rafe Telsh's uh, Have Not Seen This Podcast. And I gave you a list of topics, like I do most of the guests. And you jumped on to this one we're doing today, which uh, is about the Terminator franchise in honor of Terminator 2 is turning 30 uh, this particular week we're releasing this. And uh, why Terminator in particular? What fascinates you about this franchise? Uh, before I even answer that question, I have to address the fact that I have never felt older in my life than I do right now. Terminator 2 is 30 years old? Uh, is that what that's happened? It's happening shortly. Oh, it's oh my oh my gosh. I, I've lived too long. Um <laughs> I I I love some of these movies. Uh, I absolutely adore them. I couldn't believe when I saw that list that this one hadn't got snatched up already. Uh, so yeah, I, I wanted it uh, hardcore. It's one of those film franchises, the first two anyway, uh, that just kind of defined who I am as a storyteller. Uh, like it was really like very formative for me. So I have a like a long history uh, with it. Terminator, obviously the first two. The first Terminator coming out in 1984 um, was this interesting new spark of science fiction cinema. Um, and then it was followed up seven years later with another one. Obviously, both uh, helped uh, to really strengthen James Cameron's career as uh, such a big thing, with obviously Terminator being the first big movie he did after uh, Piranha 2, The Spawning, which we've covered on the show previously. It's, it's so interesting, especially with this franchise, how it starts off so wonderfully with those two movies. And we'll talk about at least one of them as our good pick, as we'll get into later. And then just how much afterward the franchise is so desperate 
to keep things going for as long as it can. It's just this weird trouble when you have two films that mirror each other and complement each other so perfectly, and this particular the second one ends everything so well, and they're just like, oh, we gotta keep this going somehow. Yeah, as Bilbo Baggins would say, it's like butter spread across too much toast. Oh, good lord, they've tried so much to get this to work. I mean, Adam, you would obviously agree with all that. I know, given we've talked about your love of Schwarzenegger and stuff like that, you're a big fan of Terminator, even for as weird as the franchise gets. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I love Terminator, I love Schwarzenegger. Uh, you know, T1 and 2 were huge movies in my, you know, sort of childhood as well. I mean, I remember seeing Terminator 2... I want to say I saw it at the show. Uh, I should have, but, you know, whatever. But I remember seeing it and just, like, being blown away by it. Like, what is this? I remember that when the trailer came out, how excited everyone was about it. Like, it was a huge, huge deal. And then, um, you know, the rest of the movies happened. And the rides and the toys and the sort of all the licensed things and the television series and all that stuff. And yet still, as much as I know, any new property that has the name Terminator attached to it is probably going to be bad. I'm still going to see it. I'm still going to fork money over towards it. That's how much, you know, the franchise as a whole does definitely mean to me. And they're counting on that, too. Oh, a thousand percent. Same thing with like Predator. They're not going to be good, but I'm going to watch them. But that's what's so interesting also about just Terminator is the they you're questioning because it's also the franchise has changed so many hands over the course of like the 30 plus years since the original Terminator where like the original company made the first Terminator went bankrupt and so it ended up becoming like a universal kind of thing but then they lost the rights and then like it went over to so many different things. That's why if you try and watch these movies on a streaming service it's like oh the first one's on Prime, three and four are on HBO Max and like Dark Fate is on Hulu and other shit like that just because it's changed so many hands because it's definitely a thing like people think they can make a huge franchise out of this story but really aside from those first two movies you can't and what do you think Mel is the big thing that makes making a franchise out of such a popular especially first two movies so difficult onward I think it's got a lot to do with the fact that the bar was set so high uh, I mean, the, even the, the first one, like, I love the first one. Uh, I am, in some regards, I even feel like the first one is superior to, to to Judgment Day, but that's a whole nother conversation. I just feel like when, when the bar is set that high, all you really can do is meet expectations or you can embarrass yourself. Uh, and the odds are like 70-30 that you're going to embarrass yourself. Terminator 2 was a win, be happy with that. No, but we can't be happy with that. No, we can't. <laughs> no. We, we have to. We have to at least wait a f- several years and then do another one. Because like, like Terminator is one of those franchises where it's just like there's so many different like reboots and retcons. Like no, I, the only franchise I can really think of to compare it to is like Halloween, where it, that also is another example of just like oh such a great start and then how many times just like well this is a reboot here and this one kind of follows the continuity from the first two movies but we're not going to do anything with that we're going to actually follow the continuity just from the first movie now <laughs> it just has this weird timeline thing that just like sprawls out like a weird spider web but that's why we love it right right guys right i'm just here for the robots <laughs> <laughs> that's why at least i'll say this i'm always fascinated because, like, Terminator, like, somebody getting on the horse of Terminator is kind of like watching one of those, like, mechanical bull rides. Which is like, how long are you going to last on this? 
how long is this going to go and how embarrassing is the fall going to be after a certain point and you know many have tried so uh, we'll be talking about um, that with uh, our two movies in case you're new to the show every week Adam and I pick a random good and bad feature for our double feature Um, so for Terminator uh, at the end of our last episode Adam had the two good picks and we ended up with Terminator 2 and then I had the bad picks and we ended up with Terminator Salvation uh, both of which there's a, a lot to talk about so we might as well just step in immediately to our first feature Terminator 2 Judgment Day Ten years ago, a machine from the future was sent to kill Sarah Connor. It failed. I'll be back. But this time, there are two. One programmed to destroy, the other to protect. Hasta la vista, baby. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Terminator 2. Judgment Day. Rated R. Starts Wednesday, July 3rd at a theater near you. Terminator 2 Judgment Day came out July 2nd, 1991, as I said, 30th anniversary is coming up, and uh, was directed by James Cameron, who directed the original movie, and he also co-wrote it with William Weisher, and it's so interesting because this is another example of a sequel coming so late after the original movie, where 84 to 91 is a seven-year difference, and it's like many times in James Cameron's career where everyone would be like, oh, isn't it so such a huge budget, it cost $102 million for 1991, and like, how can he really follow up that original movie, it just feels like a fool's errand, and uh, he, uh, like many times he has done, uh, proved them all wrong for doubting James Cameron, how dare you doubt James Cameron. Uh, Mel... What was your experience, especially with seeing this for the first time, and uh, do you agree with the general consensus of it's an action masterpiece? I actually, I was too young to see this in the theater. Uh, I actually started working at a movie theater two years after this came out. I kind of pulled a Star Wars on this. I watched it completely out of order. I saw Terminator 2 first, like, on VHS, uh, and didn't know, like, the backstory all I knew is that it was awesome. Uh, I, I didn't know quite why, but I knew it was amazing. Uh, and then like a few years later, I I got around to seeing the first one uh, and, and was able to kind of like finally put things together. It, that's not the best way to do it, is it? Uh, it it's like the, with the Mega Man games. Like everyone you meet played Mega Man 2 before they played Mega Man 1. Uh, but that was just kind of my experience. I think it's an experience for a lot of people. That was definitely mine for admitting that I was not around for terminator 2 being in theaters but uh, my dad ended up showing it to me later and i i just remember especially watching this one and being so amazed and it's a classic case of like i heard i realized like well this is a two right there's a one he's like i don't know if i should show you that there's like some sexual stuff why would she's referencing the tamest sex scene in cinema in the original terminator that's barely <laughs> any kind of problem keeping in mind that i could watch this movie where Horrible gore happens. This R-rated, very bloody, violent movie. Just like, yeah, sure. He rips off his arm and he's got like a bloody robot arm. Everyone's terrified. It's fine. Adam, did you have a similar experience? Did you see Terminator 2 first or the first one? Man, I... I think I saw the first one first. And we got... You got to figure... I was like 9 pushing 10 when this came out. It's part 2. And I shouldn't have seen it theater, but my dad took me to all these movies and stuff. I want to say I saw the first one before this because I remember the trailer for Terminator 2 thinking that Arnold was still the bad Terminator and that 
you know, the cop, because all you just see is flashes of Robert Patrick and the gear with the badge on, was a good, like, Terminator from the future. And I always thought that was how it was going to go. So I had to have seen the first one before this. Picking between the two of them is really difficult for me because they are so different in tone. The first one's basically like a Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers slasher, one relentless killer. And then this one is, you know, sci-fi action perfection. And, you know, it, it reminds me even like, you know, where James Cameron took over Aliens. There's as much of a difference between Aliens and Alien as there is in Terminator 2 and Terminator. So I love them both equally, but man, Terminator 2, like I said right in the beginning, it blew my mind, dude. The visual effects, everything. I, I you know, and then you're watching this crazed liquid metal killing thing chasing children. And I mean, it was terrifying. It was thrilling. It's just... It's kind of the perfect summer blockbuster, maybe ever. Yeah, and it was also it was very, very revolutionary at the time. Obviously, the big thing is sort of the visual effects stuff, where this is one of the more groundbreaking uses of CG. Even though, interestingly, I found out, much like any of your favorite movies that ground broke with CG, like a Jurassic Park or anything like that, not a lot of the CG in there. The CG actually only amounts to five minutes of screen time, which is stellar, because this is a great example of, like, the late great Stan Winston combining not just those computer effects, but also like the practical stuff and just the actual actors being able to do stuff, some optical effects. It's one of those great movies from around this particular era that didn't just rest on the laurels of CG and fully just embrace like, well, it's the best tool for this particular scene, but there are other tools we can use that can accomplish so many of the other things afterward. You know, and that's kind of Cameron's thing, dude. I mean, look at the abyss. You know what I mean? Everybody remembers that water worm and all that stuff. That's really the only CG in the abyss. They're always like scale models and minis and things like that and all practical. But everybody remembers, you know, as a really CGI heavy thing. And it's really not that water worm thing and is in it for two minutes. This is one of those scenarios where... I and I, I I have to get on my old man soapbox uh, for just a minute here, uh, even though I hate to do that. Uh, I don't like to be that guy, you know, with the, the kids and the hair and the music. Uh, but I do I do miss uh, a little bit that that era of yeah. Here's an amazing effect. Uh, here are some amazing uh, effects, but we're not going to to drown you in them. Uh, we're we're going to tease them out. They go so long in the movie between showing you these these kind of like n- new amazing things like every time the T1000 shows up it does something a little new a little more exciting a little more like bombastic until you know the end when he's just you know, it's huge holes in his head and he turns into like that thing from the thing at the end when he gets blown up uh, and he's just got like parts everywhere. Like they really do build up nicely to to all of those kind of moments. Uh, whereas now in, in every action sequence kind of plays at the same intensity uh, versus the the, the buildup uh, in T2 that works so well. Yeah, where it definitely manages to use, like, big practical things, like, especially Climax, it always, like, astonishes me how they're able to do, like, oh, here's a giant Mack truck being chased by 
a fucking helicopter underneath a fucking bridge. <laughs> like, all that stuff is, like, still so tremendous to me, and most of it is practical, um, aside from, some, you know, some of, like, the, the optical stuff and just great stunt work, all sorts of great stuff being in here. But also, of course, there's our characters and stuff. How do you feel, Mel, this does as, like, an actual sequel to the original movie with, like, progressing some of the characters, like Linda Hamilton and Sarah Connor or even this version of The Terminator? How, how Do you feel like this is the great example of, like, how to continue a story um i i think it both is and isn't uh and that may be blasphemy uh, of me to say the first one is is kind of perfect in how the, the loop anytime you deal with time travel uh you've always got that one guy in the audience who's just got like a notepad and a pencil out and he's just like no that's wrong that's wrong that's not how that works uh the first one the loop is perfect because it closes. Uh, the the loop in Terminator 2 does require a little more suspension of disbelief uh, because it, it effectively tells you that Skynet invented itself. I can let that go a little bit, uh, but I, it, is a, it is a bit of a stretch uh, for me in that regard. Did not stop me from loving it one bit. As far as Linda Hamilton's character goes, as far as Sarah Connor goes, I think James Cameron kind of loves to do that he loves to to put his like his female characters especially kind of in a hole in a deep dark hole uh and and watch them climb out of it uh and it's 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 very impressive very thoroughly enjoyable i mean she went all in uh for that the, the, the training regimen which was like through the roof uh and learning the the weapons and like judo uh, and all of that that's uh, and it all in service of the role. So no, I, I thought it was fantastic. I, I love the fact that her character arc uh, is essentially that she be for a moment the thing she spent her whole life hating uh, when she goes to kill Miles Dyson uh, and realizes that she's now the enemy. She's now become the soulless thing. Uh, and they and like and it takes the love of her son to pull her back. I I love all that stuff. I love all the stuff about how she spent all those years searching for the perfect father for John to fight uh, against these things that she hates only for the things she hates most to be that ideal father. It's not subtle, but it is beautiful. Yeah, I like the fact that it really is sort of building on the idea of, like, what you're talking about with, like, the causality loops and whatnot, the time travel, like, paradoxes that are going on. Linda Hamilton is so dead set on, like, trying to find the specific way for John to become the eventual savior that I like the fact that it becomes like much more of like this natural thing that occurs even with like the time travel coming into it. She's trying to find something in the natural world that will end up like making John this like great leader. He'll end up being when it's just like, no, it's a combination of like what you gave him, the tools you gave him when you were, he was younger, but also this influence of the Terminator at the same time. It's just, I, I love the way that all of that progresses. And Sarah Connor's sort of, growth and what they decided to do with the character from the first one to this one and even um lena hetty's portrayal of it in the tv show i i just love the idea that this you know 17 18 year old waitress from the first movie becomes you know as she says in the first movie the mother of the future and uh, i mean she just is a balls to the wall sociopath for the most part i mean she's she's kind of lost her mind because of what happened to her um and she's you know ultra paranoid and stuff well you know that's probably for a good reason and uh i i just yeah and you know you said it really well there mel at, at the scene when she's about to 
you know, execute Dyson and she sort of just, you know, sees Danny on him, holding him and everything. And she realized she's literally become the monster and she has become the killing machine that she's tried to protect her son from and warn everybody about, you know, forever. And, uh, it's just such a great, great moment for her. And, um, her best showcase of her acting, I'd, I'd argue in any of the films is that one scene. And, uh, it's pretty spectacular. And, and, you know, and I don't mind the sort of flip that they do with the, with the T 800. You know, I remember as a kid thinking it was kind of dumb, like, why is he the good guy now? And why does he look the same? But I didn't understand, you know, that's just the general model. They all look like that. Um, as you get older, you know, Oh, of course. And, uh, I think it's fine. I do think there are some cheesy moments, you know, Thomas, you quoted one in the very beginning. I know now why you cry. And the fucking thumbs up at the end when his body's already burning. <laughs> like, still do a thumbs up. Like, get the fuck on. But if there wasn't these moments, if they wouldn't have gone, you know, with this growth, I don't think this movie would be nearly as successful as it came to be. Um, if he just redid Terminator 1, then what would be the point? It'd be watching, like you said earlier as well, Thomas, it'd be like watching Halloween 2. Like, just more of the same. So, yeah, I, I think it was a ballsy move the way they did it and the way he decided to approach his own material and completely change it from the get. And, uh, I mean, obviously it worked out. That's the one thing you can say about James Cameron. You know, the dude's ballsy. He, like, he doesn't give a fuck. He does things how he wants to do it. And, you know, whether or not it's true, he knows best. And, uh, Fingers and- crossed for Avatar 2. <laughs> It's just very different. I concur. Hopefully, it's very different from the first movie. Uh, but but yeah, I think that's that's what's so interesting, really, for me with like Terminator Two, especially as a sequel to the first movie, is how much it really does like act as the perfect mirror image. I think that's why it's so hard to do a sequel after this point. Is like these two movies complement themselves so well as like sort of bookends for each other with how much they like revisit certain things from the earlier movie. Or even just, like, add certain elements that feel, like, perfect to add, like, even with the T-800. I think it's such a great job where, even though I I knew watching this movie, Arnold's probably going to be the good guy because I'd seen other Arnold movies before this. But, like, if you don't know that going in, you only have the knowledge of the first movie. The first, like, 30 minutes or so before, like, they actually meet up with John are so tense. We're just like, oh, my God, so who is actually the good or bad guy here? Or even, as I mentioned, they're kind of getting you toward maybe Robert Patrick because he's an authority figure and a cop, even though this movie ends up pulling the original A-cab because they make him the most terrifying creature that's ever existed (laughs) by the end of it. And I think it's such a great compliment also, like, with the T-800 being like this one that kind of starts to learn a bit more compared to the original one. It's more of like being empathetic as much as it can be versus the T 1000 as well. Before we even get to like Robert Patrick and all that stuff, we should definitely say, I would argue my favorite Arnold movie, as we've discussed on the show previously is probably total recall, but this is like the iconic image of Arnold is in this movie. Like even the poster knew that coming out. It's just like, no, this is it. This is exactly what you think of Arnold. When you think of him, it's the poster of like T two. With him in that leather jacket, him just standing there. It's him at his sort of zenith as a movie star. Um, if I can, I want to go back just for a second and and talk about the reveal uh, and how they hid from from the audiences, from the world. I swear, you could not release this movie today because that secret would have been leaked on the internet just like forever ago. Like it just, you would have, they would have to rewritten a whole new ending uh, and a new plot line. And it would have been terrible uh, just because you can't keep secrets anymore. Uh, but I love uh, like part of John Connor's storyline in that is that 
he thinks his mom's nuts because she's just been preaching this gospel of savior of the future to him his whole life. And he thought it was all just garbage, just nothing to believe in. And the moment when he comes face to face with everything he's ever been told by her about the Terminator uh, in the hallway, uh, that is such an amazing moment. It's like, like so many thoughts have to be going through his head at that moment. Like everything she ever said is true. Here's this guy. Uh, and you as an audience member at the time, like you're as scared as he is uh, because you're just like, oh God, th this is it. Like, how does, how does he escape? Uh, and then that flip comes, that amazing, that amazing reversal uh, where it's Robert Patrick uh, who ends up being the bad guy, which is another thing you could not get away with. You said it before, he's the, the original ACAB. You couldn't get away with that now. A uh, guy shows up in a police uniform in a movie now and immediately you're just like, well, don't trust that guy, uh, <laughs> which is awful, but, but I mean, true. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you guys saying, but I think it's kind of obvious right off the bat that it's Robert Patrick is the bad one. Uh, you know, Arnold, yeah, he goes into that bar and beats the shit out of those bikers and everything, but they do the bad to the bone song and they do all this stuff. And then Robert Patrick shows up and guts a police officer. It takes his outfit and gun. I mean, it's pretty, I think, right away, as soon as the two are revealed, you know exactly which one is which. I never saw it as, like, a twist. I, I, I thought it was pretty, like, dead-ass out in the open. I don't know how much of it is also, because, like, even, like, Mel was saying, like, oh, you wouldn't be able to reveal this twist. I watched a lot of marketing material for this movie, and they do outright say there's a big twist here where now... Arnold is the good guy versus Robert Patrick. <laughs> they were teasing that a lot in the marketing and all this other stuff. I remember watching this for the first time and feeling a bit of that, like, confusion about that, even though, like, obviously I knew Arnold was, like, a hero in most things. There was a bit of that doubt for a second of, like, who could be who? I think the movie does a pretty good job of, like, trying to, like, contrast those two. And I think I agree. I believe that worry on Edward Furlong's face, which for the, I think this is another thing that also divides people. Is Edward Furlong good in this movie? No. <laughs> <laughs> Is Edward Furlong good at all? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he has his moments, uh, I think, in this, but uh, he's... I, I chalk some of it up to him being a, a kid. Uh, like, kids are just inherently kind of annoying to me. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't get too much mileage out of them. I remember the thing that scared me most about uh, his performance. There's that moment in the parking lot where, uh, before he finds out about his, uh, either, right, either right before or right after, he finds out about his foster parents being killed. And he discovers that the Terminator has to do everything he says. Uh, and at this point in the film, we had seen him mouth off to his stepmom and stepdad. We have seen him rob an ATM. Uh, he's just, he, the kid's kind of a dick. Uh, but as soon as you find out that he, he can control a Terminator, I was so terrified as a viewer because I was like, oh no, is he just gonna, is this gonna be 90 minutes of him just like making the Terminator go around and like steal him like ice cream and video games and busting open more ATMs? Like I was so terrified that was the turn that the movie was going to take. And he was going to have to like, have like some kind of life lesson where he's like with, you know, with, with a giant robot comes great responsibility. So I should, I should be a better human being. Uh, thankfully, thankfully that didn't happen. 
No, that's true. They just go for more of like that's an initial kind of childish spark. But then I like the fact that he ends up realizing that it's like, oh no, I have like a killer monster robot around. I could like seriously hurt people. And I, he like that responsibility really weighs on him. I think for me, because we've talked about Edward Furlong weirdly a lot recently. Because <laughs> we back to back on episodes, we talked about Edward Furlong. That, that's true, because we talked about the Crow Wicked Prayer and Brain Scan, which are both very oh. different. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think... <laughs> <laughs> Edward Furlong, much like the special effects stuff in this movie, is a tool that needs to be used appropriately. <laughs> and I think not just James Cameron, but also the other actors, I think, know how to like get the right reaction off of him or go back and forth from him or even just like get him to do the right thing at the right time. Kind of like when you train an animal on a set. <laughs> to do things they knew how to like jingle the keys right here i'm sorry mr furlong if you're listening i hope you aren't you need some help please but um with uh with him in this movie i think they know how to use him appropriately i think particularly like i love all the stuff in mexico where it's him and arnold interacting with each other and especially like, doing the high fives and stuff like that and arnold's like so slow to react and everything i think like they know how to use him well in this movie and get like the right things that work perfectly for this. It, obviously a lot of people wouldn't be able to do that later. And I think it also, he's, he went through puberty during this movie and you can tell in various scenes are like, okay, he looks way too small compared to like the start of the movie in certain scenes. And they dub over a lot of his vocals because he was like, his voice was cracking and stuff like that. So there's a lot of things that hamper him potentially, but I think they do as good a job as you can with, like I said, the tool that they are given. I just love the idea that, there's a fucking Edward Furlong wrangler on set. <laughs> you know, Edward Furlong comes stand here. Edward Furlong comes stand here. <laughs> He's like, what? what? <laughs> Good Edward. Good Edward. <laughs> nah, dude, he annoyed me as a kid. He annoys me now. I, I just... He was the biggest sort of issue for me then. He's the biggest issue for me now. Even though as a kid, I probably didn't recognize enough, but like... You know, my older brothers, my dad, everyone was like, oh, my God, that fucking kid is terrible. So I was like, yeah, fuck that kid. I have no idea, but still, uh, yeah, I just, man, he's just the weakest link for me, man. This whiny little brat. I, I just, he drives me fucking crazy. She's not my mother, Todd. Like, get the <laughs> fuck out of here, man. I, it just, nah. Nope, never did it for me. Still doesn't. I don't like Edward Furlong. Never will. Not changing my mind. Don't even try. Part of that is just the John Connor character, which I think another big problem with this franchise is they never quite knew how to work with John Connor as a character. And I think the only reason it works as much for this movie is because, oh yeah, he's annoying and whatever, but he's also playing with this 12-year-old bratty kid who rides a dirt bike and is friends with Danny Cooksey, a.k.a. <laughs> the embodiment of early 90s Nickelodeon. <laughs> just ride along with him like of course he's gonna kind of be like a little arrogant asshole and i think they play a, do a good job like playing that because i think that's just the most interesting thing you can do with john connor because after this point you just have him be like oh he's the savior he's like it's it's kind of like doing a jesus movie where it's like oh if you you try and like have some way to work with him as like some kind of complex three-dimensional character and john connor just as the mythology portrays is not that he's a MacGuffin. Which is why I think Dark Fate is new. Like, let's just get rid of him. <laughs> like, there's nothing we can do at this point. I just want to know what happened to Danny Cooksey's character. Uh, like, he he disappears at the Galleria whenever the Z1000 pushes him down. It, like, pushes him into the side of an afterburner game. Uh, and then you don't see him again. I, I was hoping that there would be more 
cameos by Tiny Toon Adventures voice actors uh, in the movie. <laughs> everybody pops up. John Kassir, <laughs> Don Messick, everybody shows right, up. Charlie Tiny Adler. T- Charlie Adler. <laughs> yes, for sure, for sure. But we got to talk a bit more about, obviously, we mentioned him many times, but Robert Patrick's performance as the T-1000 is arguably one of the best screen villains just ever. Especially, as you mentioned, he kind of has this initial appearance that's just like, oh, he's like kind of this slimy dude, but at the same time, he has this sense of authority, so everyone doesn't question him. And then as things go along, especially the way he runs, which for the record, notice how um, Tom Cruise love is like so praised for like, oh man, he loves to run. Notice how he didn't run quite that way until after 1991. If you watch any mm-hmm. of his earlier movies, he didn't do it. I'm just saying, I think he took some hints from Robert Patrick. coincidence i think not sir but uh do do you agree mel that robert patrick's dope in this um oh i thought you were going to ask me do i agree that robert patrick runs better than anyone second to usain bolt maybe (laughs) (laughs) um he's oh he's he's so good he's just so stone cold okay i'll tell you what you know how you know He's going to be cool uh, in this. It's the scene when the police car pulls up to the the foster parent's house uh, and he walks up to the door and he's talking to the insidious Xander Berkeley. And I always introduce him as the insidious Xander Berkeley. I don't know why I just do that. Um, He's talking to them uh, and they say, does this have anything to do with there was another guy this morning, a big guy on a bike who was looking for him and Robert Patrick just goes, nah, I wouldn't worry about him. That is so badass. <laughs> like that is that as as a writer that and as a as an audience member as a viewer that I love it. I love that kind of stuff. I just the confidence he exudes. Uh, it's like you you know you're in for who's that confident going up against a, a cybernetic killing machine. Uh, but another cybernetic killing machine. Uh, but yeah, I so great. So great in this. Not to take anything away from Arnold, uh, but I think it might be the best Terminator on screen ever. Um, I, I love Arnold, especially in the first one, uh, with the way he sort of scans the environment, moves his eyes and his neck and just everything about him. I love him in this one, but man, Robert Patrick is just chilling to the fucking bone. Um, he's, he's so terrifying yet. So charismatic, um, especially the, in that scene you, you just brought up Mel, where he's at the door and he's talking to him. And I mean, just the way he's looking at them and when they give him the picture, the way he's charming the pants off him. Oh, he's a good looking boy. Mind if I keep this picture? And you're like, Oh, this fucking psychopath. And, uh, yeah, he's, He's incredible. There's never a moment where he doesn't feel like a real, real threat. Like he could win and get John and kill Sarah and kill the T-800 at almost any moment. Um, You get the impression that it's literally by sheer luck that they keep evading and surviving against him. Um, Yeah, he's literally the shark in the water. He's the, you know, the unstoppable force of, you know, death and destruction that the terminator should be yeah he's everything i want he's everything i want in a villain uh i i there's he has you know talking about his mannerisms uh there's something he does that i love i whenever he injures uh and kills people there are all these moments 
where like uh like he puts the when he's disguised as the, as the foster mom and he puts the knife through Xander Berkeley's uh, head there's this moment where he studies uh Xander Berkeley whenever he stabs uh, the guard the twin uh, Dan or Don Stanton whichever one it is uh whenever he stabs the guard in the eye in the the hospital he's he studies him uh he studies Sarah Connor whenever he stabs her in the shoulder i love that he's he's like a surgeon it's like he, as good as he is, he's still tr- like he's like, is there a more efficient way to hurt you? Is there a better way to kill you? Can I figure that out? Can I be a better murder machine than I already am? Uh, and I, lo- I love that concentration that's always on him. He's always working. I think particularly with the fact that he doesn't speak nearly as much as Arnold does. I think that's what adds to that efficiency. It's so much more about, like, let me portray this with as much physical movement and as limited amount of words as I can do. Like, when he gets into the helicopter and just says, get out, <laughs> and then the guy <laughs> leaves. Perfect. Or even, like, when, like, Arnold, I think, hits him during the, the big warehouse thing, and then he, his head turns and he just does the finger wag. Like, no. <laughs> do that no 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 i think that's what it's like he's so confident he doesn't need to use a lot of words he doesn't need to do a lot i think that's what compares him so perfectly to arnold who does like so many of the big lines like hasta la vista baby and all this other stuff that makes him great and charismatic but the complete contrast to that is a cold calculated killing machine that doesn't say a lot and it's just like let me do this the most efficient way i possibly can yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, we're going a while on Terminator 2, so we, we might want to start wrapping up. But I want to ask everybody, what is your favorite action sequence in here? This is a big action movie everybody loves. What's everyone's favorite big action beat, Mel? For me, it's 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 like two action sequences put together, honestly, uh, because it's got some of my favorite stunt work. Uh, it's, it's they're in the police van leaving Cyberdyne and the T-1000 is in the helicopter, that chase uh, that that culminates with uh, the helicopter crashing into, like they slam on the brakes and the helicopter smashes into the back of the truck, which is such a, just a, a great, I don't even know what you, I mean, it's a stunt, but a, inanimate objects just smashing into each other. Uh, I love that. And that action sequence evolves into the, the liquid nitrogen truck, which features my favorite single moment when uh, Arnold climbs out of the cab of the pickup truck, yes. runs across the flatbed up onto the hood and yep. fires the machine gun through the window and through the windshield and just riddles the T-1000 with bullets. All of that up to when he turns the wheel, flips the, the 18-wheeler over, uh, and it crashes in, into the refinery. That, that's, that's action perfected. Uh, it's so well staged. It's it's most of it is practical. There's a couple of blue screen shots in there uh, uh, that that <laughs> haven't aged terribly well, but but it's it's so good and it's so pulse pounding uh, and it it's just white knuckle edge of your seat stuff. It's a cliche to say it, but I I watched that movie a hundred times and I'm still holding my breath. I notice that I'm holding my breath whenever I watch those two scenes. Adam, what about yours? As far as like what the fuck is about to happen, it's the uh, sort of lead up to the mall hallway scene where mm-hmm. you know, they're both coming from opposite ends, Arnold with the roses, and then, you know, him finding the Terminator, talking to a young, you know, Nicky Cox and everything like that. The look on John's face and then the ultimate where, you know, you get the breath of, oh, shit, Arnold is the good guy that, you know, get down. And then you're like, oh, fuck. Like, it's just, what a great 
tense little moment. Shout out to Arnold and Robert Patrick throwing themselves through walls like wrestler style <laughs> after that point. <laughs> just like, they are destroying that fucking facility. Also, that one dude who's just walking by like, hey kid, what are you doing down here? Oh no, I'm dead. They even shot his can of Coke. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. that can of Coke. Right, so young. <laughs> Um, but I, I also really love, um, besides that sequence, it's actually the follow-up to Adam's sequence where it's, um, him, the Robert Patrick chasing after Edward Furlong on his bike and leading to like them in the middle of, I forgot what that place in LA is called, like that big ravine, uh, but with like the, the fi- the fucking giant pickup truck as it's like chasing them down. Arnold's got like the shotgun that's like revolving and all sort of stuff. That's exactly what I'm talking about in terms of Arnold being like at his perfect zenith as a movie star. It's like him on that bike and him turning around just like cocking his gun, shooting it and like turning the gun around, wheeling it. It's like so good down to even the big explosion followed by like the first big sequence where the T-1000 is like metal forming like from the fire is so good. Like, all these action sequences are great, but I think that's the sequence of where the movie sort of makes its official statement about, like, this is the kind of action movie we're going to be. And it's so dope. But, uh, like I said, we've been going a bit long, so let's do some quick final thoughts on T2. Mel, your quick final thoughts on it. This kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. This is how sequels are done. Um, uh, this, Aliens, The Godfather Part Two, The Bourne Supremacy, this is how you do a sequel uh you you build on everything that that's been established but without succumbing to spectacle uh and also without uh betraying any of the groundwork that's already been laid uh i i think it's it's a really solid transition um and 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 definitely just sets the bar it's one of those sequels that sets the bar for how sequels should be done uh i've i've studied that movie for years. I will continue to study it. I learn something new every time I watch it. I mean, I'm, I echo pretty much everything Mel just said. You know, when you think about the great pantheon of just sequels, there's there's a few that pop in mind. You know, like Empire Strikes Back and, you know, even Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers and things like that. But Terminator 2 is always in that conversation as well. It, it's It's earned that right to be in that sort of list and amongst those great movies because it is just, it's sci-fi action perfection it is a you know the sort of prototypical and just the greatest example of a summer blockbuster movie you know at least in my lifetime that i can think of it's just it's phenomenal it had word of mouth it had star power it has a great script great effects great acting everything there's you know other than fucking edward furlong there's hard (laughs) to pick anything back about this movie it's basically a perfect movie yeah i echo everything both of you have said and i'll just like add that i think what also works is like we could talk about this movie for so long because there's so much that i would love to like go into detail about like underrated mvp joe morton as miles dyson who is so good and has the best breathing in any fucking movie <laughs> of all time <laughs> i can't oh, this much. Look. so good so wonderful um, or even stuff like Brad Fidel's score, which like he's following up the first movie, and particularly his T T one thousand theme with the it's like this weird like metal stretching sound, <laughs> so good. Like there's so much detail in this. Like Mel said, like you can spot so much stuff like that you didn't even see the first time, or even just appreciate. Like even like the big Li- Linda Hamilton's dream sequence, like the nuclear holocaust, is one of the most terrifying things I've seen in a movie ever. 
It's just like one of the most horrific examples. Just like, oh my god, this actual thing that might be able to happen. And from all the nuclear scientists who apparently saw this movie said like, no, that's extremely accurate. Great, guys. Thank you for confirming <laughs> that. <laughs> that all my nightmares could come true at any point. Uh, but yeah, it is a stellar movie that I would say I slightly prefer to the original movie. But it's also like they're both like near perfect movies. They're so close to each other. Unlike maybe some other entries in the franchise. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and uh, we'll get into that second feature in just a moment. But first, here's a promo for an ESO show you can queue up for After Hours. So, Brittany, Martha, <laughs> tell me about your podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like we're in sync, but also kind of a disaster. We are always a disaster. So our podcast is fun if you want to hear two people talk about and complain about stuff that <laughs> a they lot of love and also hate. And drink. And drink. And the show is Same. called? Oh. <laughs> But, but first, let's, let's talk, talk nerdy. nerdy. And you can find us on the ESO Network. Ta-ding. See you next Tuesday. <laughs> and now let's get into Terminator Salvation. I thought I knew our enemy. We are outnumbered by machines. But this is not the future my mother warned me about. We're gonna lose. This war ends tonight. If we stay the course, we are dead! We are all dead! Come on! Terminator Salvation in theaters May 21st. No! I know now why you cry, and it's something I will also do. Um, so, yes, uh, Terminator Salvation came out May 21st, 2009, the fourth entry in the franchise. Which I guess we should briefly mention that, like, in between this and T2, there had been mostly a gap without much, uh, except for T2 The Ride, uh, the 3D thing at Universal, which for the record is dope, and also drank by James Cameron. Uh, R.I.P. also to that. And then um, T3, which had come out and was more just like, we're gonna kind of do the first two movies again, but not nearly as well. I rewatched that movie recently. I would argue it's it's very forgettable, but I, I think it's more inoffensive than anything to me. It has a few interesting bits and pieces. Um, but then Terminator Salvation comes out, and I was very much following and very curious about this movie when it was going to come out because it does sort of the thing that everyone had kind of been saying for a while, like, oh, if you're going to do another Terminator movie, why not follow the actual Future War stuff? That we were gonna that we see only glimpses of in the first two movies. Why don't we see more of that in John Connor as an actual hero? And I think that's a good idea in theory. I just think this particular movie is a terrible execution of it. Um, Mel, would you agree or not with that? Uh, I would agree that it is it is terrible. It is horrible. Um, and I was I was super excited uh, whenever it came out that they, they were going to do it this way uh, because I'm one of those people who's like who's like like with Star Wars there are like these these gaps between each Star Wars movie uh, as far as like just the chronology of the characters goes. Uh, and the most interesting gap to me was always the gap between um, uh, Revenge of the Sith and a new hope there's like you know 16 18 years or something in there and there's just room to play uh and it's for for a writer it's a dream to be able to just just run amok in that time frame and terminator's the same way we know all about you know judgment day and yes uh john connor teaches them how to fight the machines uh and that leads you to you know the first movie uh and and then t2 but yeah let's play around in that gap where the just the war is on 
I mean, that's there's so much potential there, and they squandered all of it. Well, I'm very curious because Adam, you intimated to me previously that you maybe don't agree with that particular point of view, and is that still the case? Hold on, your nuts and your butts. <laughs> uh, I'm still a pretty big fan of this movie, man. I still actually really, really like this movie. Um, is it top tier Terminator? No, of course not. We just talked about that one and then the first one. Uh, but I would put this right up there, man. And also, I just want to add, uh, there was also the Sarah Connor Chronicles before this movie came out. Um, so we also That's had the TV. No, I actually really do like this movie. Now, I do prefer the director's cut version of it quite a bit more. Um, I don't know if either of you have seen the director's cut version. I have not. No. Okay, director's cut version, the opening with um, Worthington and Helena Bonham Carter is not in it. It doesn't open with that. It opens right at the war. Um, and you first see uh, Marcus when he crawls out of the hole. So you have no idea who he is. You have no idea about, you know, he was from the past or anything. You, you honestly have no idea. Um, and to me, that should have probably been left in. Uh, I think that would have added a lot more to it. But um, I still think it's a pretty fun movie, man. I, I, I do think also that the trailer sort of right away revealing that Marcus was a Terminator was a huge, huge mistake. Um, I mean, you would have got it anyways, but still, why why just tell everybody? Um, but I love the I like the look of everything. I, I, I like uh, the look of the T-600s. I like the look of, um, you know, the, the big machines. I really like Anton Yelchin as young Kyle Reese. You know, once uh, Christian Bale stops doing the growl voice and actually starts using a normal sort of speaking voice near the end, he's really good. Uh, Worthington's a wet blanket, always has been, always will be. But um, I still think it's a pretty good action movie. Um, I, I just, I don't understand what people might've really wanted. You wanted the future world. Well, they gave it to you. Um, maybe not the version you were expecting, but it's there. This is the sort of the beginning of the war where nobody, even, John Connor's not even a high ranking guy. You know, they're still using bullets. They don't even have laser technology yet or anything like they do that you sort of see in the sort of flashbacks in Terminator 2 or Terminator 1. This is the very, very beginning. I just think it's fun. I, I, I like it. I like the setup. I like uh, that he's, you know, sort of got his followers because he can sort of prophesize, but yet, you know, the higher up thinks he's full of shit. Uh, I, I just think it works, man. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I know a couple people who like it, but not a lot. Um, I'll, I'll say as much that uh, I, I agree that I think that some of those things you're talking about, I think, have a lot of potential to them. Um, I think I would agree particularly with Anton Yelchin, who I think is definitely the best part of this movie. It's a trouble that him, as the most interesting character, is reduced to just kind of being this goal point for everyone to go to. And everyone else around him is, oh, what's the word? Fucking bland and awful. I believe that's the word I would refer to with that. Because, like, the version of John Connor here is the epitome of everything I'm talking about with how bland a character he is as an idea. Because the way they present him here is so much more of just like, oh, he's the, I guess, good guy, quote-unquote, the strategist of sorts who, like, influences all these people, inspires people. But Bale is so checked out. I would argue even, like, 
after he's doing the big gruff voice or before whatever he is so completely checked out of this movie and i don't believe for a second he's a military leader of any sort he has no charisma of any kind and every time he does his big rousing speeches it feels like he's just phoning it entirely and more importantly they spend so much time with this fucking marcus wright character who regardless of like sam worthington not being like that compelling a presence is this weird fucking like Mary Sue kind of character who comes in just like, Oh, I'm the guy who's going to connect everything in the Terminator franchise. Well, what about like your character? Um, I'm a robot. It turns out anything else. <laughs> uh, I can like make a radio work. You, you got anything else, buddy? <laughs> is there anything else? No, I'm sorry. No, I think that's the big thing. It's just like, it is such a pale, poor execution of everything you're talking about. So even like most of the action sequence, all this other stuff, I just think it does not the worst job of this franchise, but near the bottom to me with that. Is that your general thing as well with it? Mel? Um, I, I, yes. And I will also say that that's going to be the title of my autobiography. Uh, I'm a robot as it turns out. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I'm going to go. Um, I, this came out during the writer's strike, uh, didn't it? Uh, the production, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, that I blame a lot of that uh, on on the problem because it the movie feels to me like it wants to be about four different things, uh, and all four all four ideas are good, but all four ideas are also half baked. Um, if they had focused on any one of those ideas uh, and and carried them out to their full conclusion, uh, I think it would have been better. I'm in love with the idea that John Connor has been told his whole life that he's going to be this great military leader. And when he finally reaches the time to do it, I like the idea that a lot of people just don't buy it. I think that's great. I think he has to, I like the idea that he would have to earn it. Um, the movie doesn't quite do that. Uh, but I, I would have, I would have enjoyed seeing that, uh, him actually having to step into those shoes for real instead of everybody just, you know, bowing down and being like, here's the chosen one. Um, I, the idea of, of the hunt for Kyle Reese, uh, I, I think that could have been cool, uh, because uh, like, what if Kyle Reese wasn't ready at all to go back in time and, and, and do this impossible task? Uh, what if the movie had just been about his arc, about him becoming brave enough and worthy enough uh, to take on the kind of horrible honor of this, this suicide mission. Um, uh, if the movie had just been about solely about the reveal of the T-800, that would have been very cool. Uh, if we, if we had never known that it was leading up to that and that was the big surprise at the end, that, that would have been great instead of it being telegraphed so badly. Um, there are all these different directions. I would have loved for it to go it, it kind of like dips its toe in the water in each of those storylines. The the Marcus Wright character, don't fuck that guy. I get that guy out of there. That's like that one storyline that just doesn't help me at all. Like that one's that's dead weight. And every time he's on screen, I just I just want the next thing to happen. Yeah, I think particularly even if I didn't know anything about the trailers going in, that like always oh, actually a robot. The moment you see that opening, it's just like okay, so either he traveled in time somehow to the future. Or he's like some kind of robot prototype. Those are the only two things that make any sense in this universe. If you have uh -huh, any yeah. kind of connection to Terminator. So either one of those is uh, fucking dumb. <laughs> like such a <laughs> dumb fucking idea. Because <laughs> like if you traveled through time, like, oh, so we're just completely dismissing any idea 
that like time travel was only one crucial thing that could happen in the future point to like get the other terminators back to the past and if he ends up actually being a terminator like he is ultimately in this uh the trouble is you have to have somebody who's compelling so when you find out he's a robot that twist means something it's like oh he's this character we've grown to know and love oh my god he's actually a terminator and he's dealing with all the reckoning of that and sam worthington is a fucking flat board of wood who from the start is just like oh maybe he is a robot that's the only thing that really makes sense for why you cast this guy. Just to speak on something you said, Mel, about, you know, if this would be sort of the Kyle Reese, you know, sort of finding himself and proving that he's worried for this great honor and all that. I'd argue we got that in the next movie and it didn't work. Uh, now, that also might be because it was also played by another plank of drywall. That is Jai Courtney. But we did get that. I, I mean, that did happen. Um you know, I, I the thing is about this movie, this is definitely one of those movies where anybody sort of gripes against it. I I can't, you know, sort of combat it or anything because I completely understand. And I, I agree with a lot of it, especially the Marcus Wright stuff because of Sam Worthington. But I, there's still just something about this movie. I don't know if it is sort of the fact that it takes place mostly in the daytime. And it's, you know, it, it's just, I don't know, something about it. I, I still think... Out of all the Terminator sequels we got past part two, I would still put this at the third, man. I, I, I still think this is the best one after part two. I really do. I think um, the rest are problematic for so many different reasons. In part three, it's a carbon copy. Genesis is a horrible attempt at a fucking sort of retooling reboot. And Dark Fate, you know, as much as you say, Thomas, you know, killing John Connor, you know, yeah, get the MacGuffin out of here, blah, blah, blah. These movies would not be anything without the John Connor sort of mythos. That was the whole setup for the very first movie. So to, you know, it, to me, to kill him in the beginning of Dark Fate, it just feels like a sort of, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like it's a cheap move, but whatever. Fuck me. Right, guys. <laughs> I actually do agree with you uh, on that. Uh I because Terminator Genesis is the worst one. Yes, we, we can all agree on that. It is the worst. <laughs> oh, it's abysmal. Terminator Salvation, if I had to rank them, it is the third best Terminator movie for me, but it's it's the third best one in the same way that Predators is the second best maybe third best predator movie uh it's the gulf between t2 and uh or t1 depending on how you rank them uh but the gulf between the first two and this one it may be third but it's such a big gulf for me uh yeah yeah ah, ah. i blame mcg I blame McG for everything. Yeah, I think my, my big problem is like even with like the action elements of it, it also is like oh you, like why not just like embrace that it's like this dumb action movie. I feel like even the action sequences are mostly just kind of like very plain. Aside from like I would say the one with the two motorcycles that like are self-automated. I like that one particular action sequence, but most of them are just a lot of like hey, it's just people covered in mud. And people are just like like kind of like walking around. It, it, once again, it feels like compared to like the original other movies, it feels so much of just like oh, we're kind of putting our action figures in place, and we're not really doing a lot to like get you invested in the drama. I think particularly the final fight in the factory is so poorly edited and so 
abysmally put together. I can barely tell, like, what even the fuck is going on at certain points. I, I just feel like, uh, for, with few exceptions, I just think that even as an action movie, it is, like, such a poor attempt at, like, oh my god, the, the distant future. And it doesn't even, it pales in comparison to any of the brief shots we got in one or two. They're like very small with models. There's that scene in the first Terminator where Kyle Reese comes back uh, from from an op uh, and he's walking through this burnout bunker. In the background, you hear people crying. Uh, people are coughing. People are sick. Uh, you see two children are celebrating because they found a rat, which means they get to eat tonight. The future in Terminator Salvation is... Uh, it's it's so much less bleak. It's still bleak, but it's less bleak than it should have been. I needed it. I needed them to lean harder uh, into just how dark that timeline was. Like I thought I was going to get more of that with like the 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 prisoners herded into what I thought was going to be like one of those extermination uh, camps that Reese talked about in the first film. Uh, I like I thought I was going to get more of that kind of World War Two allegory uh like 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 kind of action uh that he that he kind of like alludes to in the first film but the future just never quite they never quite got there children of men is a more bleak future than the future in terminator salvation uh it's i i'm i was always i was always disappointed by how they missed the mark on that it's Mad Max cosplay more than an actual dystopian future, quite frankly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but Adam, I'm sorry, you really want to rebut to all this. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, I'm fucking dying to. But again, <laughs> but again it's, it's the future from Terminator 1, Terminator 2 hasn't occurred yet. It's it, This is the buildup to what it ultimately becomes. This It's not like at the end of the movie, the war is over, they, they won everything. No, it's going to continue. It's going to get way worse. Like it, 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 this is sort of the start of it. This is the very beginning. Um, like I said, they're still using outdated technology. They're still using, you know, there's a lot more humans that are alive now. They're still more organized and everything. They haven't been fucking almost wiped out to the to like extinction yet. It, it's coming though. This is like I said, this is the setup for that. And I one thing I do want to talk about, uh, if I had to pick other than Sam Worthington, the worst part of this movie. Why is there a little fucking kid who can sense robots? <laughs> like, what the fuck is the point of that? That is the dumbest thing. And especially when she actually does it, and they're like, oh no, she senses something. It's a fucking tr giant transformer-sized robot that's walking up on this little gas station. None of these assholes heard that? Like it, that, that I uh, that to me is one of the weakest parts of this. Like it just it did to me that is the big big thing that really didn't work, and they really want you to care about sort of Kyle and this Star Girl's relationship, and I, I just I did not give a fuck. It's terrible, but it's a thousand times better than anyone else's relationship in this movie. Like Bryce Dallas <laughs> Howard and Christian Bale as husband and wife with a baby on the way. I have there's no emotion there. They are mannequins. That's like the thing is even as bad as that relationship like kind of is on paper, it's so much more than how completely flatlined everyone is like fucking common shows up and it's just like, hey, what do you want us to do? It's a lot of people just gritting their teeth at each other like they're bad Clint Eastwood impersonators. <laughs> and that's another thing too, man. There, there was a, you guys just got to check out the director's cut. There's a lot of missed shit 
that if it were in it, I don't think you guys would be as sour on it as you are. I honestly don't. Because the whole thing with the common character, you know, the, my brother, my brother, it's Terry fucking Cruz. Yeah. And he's yeah. in the beginning for a good 15 minutes. Like, he's one of the guys who's leading the assault in the very sort of opening future thing. He's he's one of John's right-hand guys and all that. Like, it, it just, it would add a little more pathos to that character. Um, it's just... There's a, there is, I would agree, a lot of missed potential in this movie. And you might be right on the whole, there's a gulf between, you know, the second one to, to this one. And you're probably accurate. But I'd argue that there's also a gulf between this one and Genesis and three. And maybe yeah. maybe an, maybe a, a, a big size, like, Great Lake between this and Dark Fate. But still, it, it's... It, it, I fucking hate you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Making me think about shit. How dare you? Um, but but no, I think that's the thing is I that's the big problem with any of these. Even as someone like who I, I think Dark Fate is the better one is like the only other of these sequels that I can like tolerate. It is still like a massive gulf, and I think it's because like all of these movies have so much problem with like oh we're kind of trying to build a bit more of a franchise like after this point, especially even like this movie you talk about like, Oh, it's like not the exact future from like the, the that we saw in the previous two movies. True. Cause it's 2018 as opposed to 2029, but it's so much of just like, Oh, we're like playing the pieces down for the trilogy that we're planning. This was like peak example of like, Oh, Hey, we're going to build like a whole trilogy of like John Connor in the future movies. And uh, the problem is when that doesn't end up being, like, an actual thing, when we don't see an evolution of this particular John Connor, uh, this feels like a vestigial limb. It's just like, it's one part of, like, another story, but uh, this story's incomplete, so it's fucking dumb. (laughs) Isn't that the exact same thing that happened with Genesis and Dark Fate? They were all supposed to be build-ups to a trilogy. They all three, both of them were. And, you know, they both don't work because of that, I'd argue. I mean, I, I say that, like, that's the problem with, like, a lot of these movies is that they're kind of trying to build, like, a bigger franchise and all of them have that problem. I would just argue of, like I said, all the vestigial limbs, I, I find at least a bit more of, like, oh, there's some interesting cuticles on this one <laughs> one's finger in Dark Fate compared to the others. That's the thing. is like, there's a huge, massive gulf between any of these. I've just, like, gun to my head, I'd prefer, like, a Dark Fate because um, I like the action a bit more and I like a lot of the more of the character stuff that you would like Linda Hamilton and even the version of T-800. It's at least taking a bit more risks than I think even this one ultimately is doing. So, but you would say, despite all this, Mel, this is like your third favorite technically? Okay, how do I word this? This is the least offensive of all the ones that followed Judgment Day. Uh, so so yes, it's, it's, it's my third favorite Terminator. I'm all for you. I love writing serialized stuff. I love planning three movies, five movies, whenever I write anything. Um, but you have to make sure the first one works. You cannot lean on what you hope is coming. Uh, it's such a shitty way to write. Uh, and I, I want all of Hollywood to stop doing this. Uh, but obviously they're not going to because there's, you know, there's always money in the banana stand. So let's just right. go for it. <laughs> very true, very true. And I think if any, I think that's why this one offends me a lot, not as much as a genesis, because like, I think this idea has the most potential of just mm. like following John Connor in the future. And I just think it's like, like we mentioned, like such a piss poor attempt that like when you do such a bad job at that on like the first attempt, it ultimately is like, oh, they're never going to try and do that again because they don't want to like chase that tail. 
So that's like mm. what results in some of these other things that we get. I think that's part of also the problem with it. Uh, but we've been talking a lot also. We're, we're running long. So let's go ahead and go into some final thoughts, uh, Mel. Final thoughts on Terminator Salvation. Um, I You have changed my mind. Uh, I do... I definitely want to chase down the, that director's cut. When we watched it last night, uh, my fiance was just like, why is, why is that like that? Who's that? Uh, and I just kept going, probably a deleted scene somewhere that explains that. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think I will definitely give that a go. I think it will, it will help me feel better about it. Uh, I, I don't, I don't loathe the movie. I'm, I'm, it makes me sad because I, I wanted it to be I wanted it to be better. I wanted it to be more. Uh, but I you know, you know, wish in one hand, shit in the other, see which one fills up first. <laughs> right. Very That's true. my wisdom. <laughs> Very good summation. Adam. I still think this is a pretty good movie, man. I, I think to me it has everything I kind of wanted from an offshoot Terminator sequel. I don't find it overly offensive in any way. Uh, but this is also coming from someone who's seen the director's cut and vastly prefers the director's cut to the theatrical one. So maybe I'm a little bit fucking jaded when it comes to that. I mean, I'm not David Caruso jade, but still, <laughs> it's, 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 I think it's good, man. I think it's, it's, it's far from perfect. It's far from fantastic. But I think it's ultimately a pretty decent sci-fi action Terminator movie. Um, I don't have a problem with the action editing as much as you do. Maybe both you do. I think it's perfectly fine. Um, I, I love the look of the world that it's sort of building. I love the look of the T-600s. I, I, I love the look of the sort of robot bikes. I love the little callbacks they do, like with the Guns N' Roses song, and even John still got that same fucking thing he used to hack the ATM. Um, I, I, I really do enjoy the movie. Or when they stop the movie dead to say, I'll be back. So great. So fucking great. Uh, they, when they do that in all of them. Yeah, and it's still bad here. <laughs> it's always bad. So why are you doing it again? Um, but no, yeah, I mean, it's like I said, I, I, I think this one is, it's like personally second least favorite for me because of like how much potential this idea has. And even like with, I'm sure that director's cut does improve upon some things. Um, but also, does it fix crucial problems like uh, recasting Sam Worthington? Does it do like certain other big things like completely changing the look and vibe of this movie? I don't know. Well, um, if it, to be if honest, it, to be honest, the director's cut, Marcus is Tignataro. Oh, well, that's very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> 10 out of 10, greatest movie ever made. Um, <laughs> but but no, I, I just think, like, even... It's, it's interesting to note that you're saying the director's cut, like, adds all these crucial things that make it better, as opposed to, like, when, like, the James Cameron director's cut to, like, a T2 or other things. They add sequences that, like, aren't, like, crucial, but just add a bit more flavor. I think that's the big thing is that like when you the only thing you want you can add is like oh a bit of flavor that makes it a great thing even better that's fine but it's like this is like a I, I guess according to you like this car that has like so much of its parts removed that like oh you gotta see the part where like everything's actually on the car that makes it better um well I, I just still say that like even then most people saw this incomplete car I saw this incomplete car, at least I've seen it three times now, and this incomplete car doesn't run very well. This incomplete car is not getting me to a good destination at all, 
and like we mentioned is trying to get me to like oh don't worry we're gonna get on the road trip and we'll be able to get to like our final destination after like three legs and after the first leg they just kick you out and say fuck you that's what this fucking car is <laughs> that's what this car ride did to me um so like, like i said genesis is the bottom of the barrel because it's completely creatively bankrupt as opposed to there's some fun stuff like occasionally that pops up in here like some of stan winston's last practical effects are in this movie I like I like the particularly the sequence where um, Anton Yelchin is fighting that one T six hundred. I think it's like one of the the few good bright spots of this movie, or even some of the ideas that we're kind of talking about that it ruminates on. But when it all culminates in like this Mary Sue character who's like brings everybody together, and then it turns out like oh it looks like I'm a I was like the prototype that was sent to get John Carter here to this point. Our character is literally just like is a plot device. That's literally like his function in the universe. Just like you were designed to get John Connor here to this point. That's lazy fucking writing. That's <laughs> so fucking just like thin. That's just like, oh, what's the character's purpose? To get these other characters to from point A to point B. Great. I don't give a shit. <laughs> so yeah, not a fan. But uh, before we go into our next segment, here is a message from the ESO network that we fully endorse. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Hello everyone, Dr. Geek here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. <laughs> Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. All right, so uh, we're doing now the double redo, where uh, every week Adam and I, and sometimes a guest, uh, recommends and uh, dissuades you from watching some movies that are similar to uh, a movie that we're talking about, the franchise or whatever like topic that we're doing. Um, and in this case, as we've done with like episodes based around particular franchises, this is more about um, just like movies that are similar. We don't have to just make it like all oh, these two good Terminator movies, these two bad ones. But that can be included as well. Uh, so, Adam, what are your uh, two good movies to recommend and two you would recommend everybody stay away from? All right. So the mo- one of my good ones uh, is a really sort of underseen horror sci-fi thriller uh, done by Jack Shoulder. Who did like Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Alone in the Dark with Jack Palance. Um, it's called The Hidden. And it's from, I want to say, 87, 88, around there. And basically the plot synopsis is, you know, there's like this alien parasite that hits L.A. And it, you know, infects people and turns them basically into Terminator robots. I mean, they're just relentless forces of nature, killing machines they, with devoid of personality and everything else. Um, it, it is definitely a little bit more on the sci-fi horror uh, angle, but it's totally like everybody in it is a Terminator. And it's it's pretty fucking awesome. Stars a very, very young Kyle MacLachlan. It's this sort of young FBI agent trying to figure out what's going on. Um, it's it's just if you can find it it's great i know i don't think it's available to stream anywhere right now um at least last time i checked it wasn't but it's a really sort of underseen gem i i can't recommend it enough and then uh for my second one i have the original class of 1999 um pretty cool cast in it like pam greer patrick kilpatrick uh you know stacy keach i believe it's just 
it's really fun. It's really campy. It's one of those great movies where it's, you know, 1999 and you watch it. It's like none of this shit exists, especially the way everybody dresses where, you know, they're all basically like kind of low grade Mad Max extras with cod pieces and makeup and feathers and all this stuff. But it's super, super fun and and sort of enjoyable. And ultimately, you know, the the three sort of teachers that come in are these horrible killing machine robots that sort of malfunction and start killing all the children uh, or teenagers in this high school. That's like in the inner city and whatever. Uh, but it's it's super, super fun, really campy, but also. I mean, it's a breeze to get through. It's just, there's so many cool practical effects. Uh, Some work really well. Some are just so laughably bad that it's like, it's worth a watch. And for my bad ones, I actually have class of 1999 to the substitute um, starring Sasha Mitchell from step by step as this sort of, is he or isn't he a robot psycho killer? It's so terrible. The, the action is atrocious the sort of gratuitous sex scenes that happen a lot are just laughable it's really really ridiculous and it sort of crescendos in this ultimate like where they're playing paintball but sasha mitchell is there with real guns and it's just uh, i mean just don't watch it and then the other one i have is solo starring mario van peebles oh oh, oh. Oh, boy (laughs) it's uh (laughs) It's something to where, you know, Adrian Brody creates this robot and he asks him what he wants to look like. And he sees a picture of Michael Jordan and the robot goes like Mike. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's atrocious. And then William Sadler is in it as the sort of bad guy. And he's, you know, doing the best he can with the material. But oof, if you haven't seen it, just. I mean, unless you are really into like self torture, don't watch Solo. There's nothing good about it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just I'm stuck at the AI quoting the title of a Bow Wow movie. <laughs> That's astonishing. Yeah, he wants to look like Michael Jordan, but it's Mario Van Peebles. So oh. there you go. Oh my god. Uh... Well, I will say I've been wanting to see The Hidden and even Class of 99. Those are definitely both movies that um, whenever I was looking up movies to, like, potentially do for this, those were both, like, very high up. And I, especially The Hidden I've been wanting to see for years. But I'll, I'll definitely need to check those out sooner rather than later. Um, and I hadn't really known much about your two bad choices. Um, you're kind of tempted me with Solo based on the like my kid. Oh, man. Solo's usually streaming somewhere. Uh, usually on like Tubi or Crackle or something. Like it's one of those that's just dumb, dumb, <laughs> garbage streamers. Oh, so so it's great cinema. Got it. Great cinema on Tubi yep. TV. Gotcha. Um, but but yeah. So for mine, um, I have uh, for my two good picks. I have ones that definitely I think one that inspired. I think a lot of the stuff in particularly T two, and one that I think definitely took a lot from at least the first Terminator. Uh, and also as a sequel that improved upon its original. I have first uh, the original Steven Spielberg film, Duel, the TV movie from 1971. That if you don't know, it's basically a, stars this one character who um, finds himself being chased by a giant Mack truck. And I think especially, like, you don't see the actual driver or anything, and it's just this, like, robotic Mack truck that is chasing after this man for, like, 90 
minutes or so. And I think it's an astonishing example, like, from an early point of Spielberg managing to, like, make so much menace out of such a, like, non-readable villain in this case. And I think it's, it does a stunning job, especially any of the big sequences with the Mack truck in T2 were very clearly inspired by something like a duel that does such, like, an incredible job with, like, a very limited TV budget. And it's just, like, mainly a guy being chased by a truck in a desert and does, like, so much to, like, keep you on the edge of your seat. My second choice is, like I said, it's a sequel, uh, but I think is the one that I think if you're going to watch one of these, it is this second film in this trilogy. It is Maniac Cop 2, which if you don't know, is basically about this uh, police officer who is killed in the early part of the first movie and then comes back as sort of like a zombie, as played by Robert Zadar, the late great Chin himself. Um, and I think the first one is like a serviceable, fun, kind of like horror action movie. Two ramps everything up. Um, and it just like, there's so many great like action beats, particularly there's an assault on a police station and also a jail in this movie from the maniac cop that are stellar. I think has legitimately some of the best low budget, like fire stunt work I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, Bruce Campbell shows up. There's, there's a lot of great stuff. I would firmly recommend as sort of like the peak of very cheesy, uh, sort of like exploitation film kind of stuff. Maniac cop two is one to watch. Um, and then my two bad ones are oddly ones I would kind of recommend on a so bad it's good level, I would say. These are both kind of fun to watch. One is uh, Wes Craven's Deadly Friend, which, if you don't know, there's so much to Deadly Friend. We will talk about it at some point in the future on this podcast. But basically, it is the story of a guy who moves into town. He's a high schooler, and he has, like, all of his friends really, uh, his, he gains a lot of new friends by showing up with his robot buddy, uh, BB. <laughs> who is just this robot he, was, he immediately comes into contact with, and it's just like, oh, he's like a ripoff of Short Circuit, and everyone's like, oh, everyone loves BB. But BB is assaulted at one point, and then possesses his would-be girlfriend, who goes into full Terminator mode, quote-unquote, and is a, played by Christy Swanson doing the worst job possible of being menacing. It is a stellar, weird movie that combines so many different genre elements that, like I said, it is bad, but I kind of recommend you watch it. And then, in the same way, um, I have a clear Terminator ripoff from Indonesia called Lady Terminator, which, um, there's there's so much to go into with this movie, I'll just briefly say, uh, it starts off with a flashback in which you witness the Queen of the Southern Sea, this ancient sex goddess, seduce a bunch of men, and it turns out she has a serpent in her vagina, and then, centuries later, in 1989, an anthropologist comes across her grave, and then is like possessed and, and turns into the Terminator. It's one of the craziest fucking movies I've ever seen in my life. I would firmly recommend, like I said, both of them are very so bad it's good. So they're both bad, but I kind of recommend you watch all four of my movies to some extent. <laughs> I, I've seen all four of your movies and I echo exactly what you just said. Uh, everybody should see these movies. Uh, Lady Terminator. Dude. <laughs> Fucking what? Like, that movie, that movie is batshit nuts. But it's kind of amazing. Like, it's <laughs> it's bad, but it's great. And, I mean, Deadly Friend, that fucking basketball scene. I mean, that just sells the whole right, thing. Right, most it people have seen the basketball scene. No, I, I yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I, I'm on board with all four of your choices. First time I've seen all four of your choices, by the way. Well, Mel... What about your choices for the devil red deer? Um, let's see. I I went. This is my first time doing this, so uh, I I may have gone in a slightly different direction uh, than I was supposed to. Um, 
So I there there are basically just there are three elements going on in the Terminator franchise. There's time travel. There's robots. Uh, and and artificial intelligence. Uh, so uh, I'm leaning towards, for my good, for my good choice, uh, I'm leaning on Ex Machina from 2014, uh, uh, starring uh, Alicia Vikander, I, I believe is her name, um, and the guy that plays Poe Dameron. Um, that's, it, I think that's a really, a really smart take on, on artificial intelligence, like what that would probably really be like uh, uh, when we get to that point. Um, and it's terrifying too, not giving anything away for anybody who hasn't seen it. Uh, but but that that takes a very kind of Terminator turn uh, uh, that's, that's enthralling. Um, so yeah, I would highly recommend that. Oh, going old school for just good old fashioned robot fun, RoboCop, Paul Verhoeven's RoboCop. Uh, I know you've seen it. Uh, I, I, I'll recommend that to anybody every day forever. Uh, it's, you know, there's a statue of Sylvester Stallone as Rocky in Philadelphia. There needs to be a statue of RoboCop in Detroit. Uh, it, it's it, that, that movie's that good. Uh, it's, it's this great kind of like, satirical statement on consumerism and capitalism uh, and corporatization and privatization. Uh, it's it's so so sharp uh, and stands the test of time remarkably well. Uh, so that's that's my second good good pick. For bad picks, I'm I'm kind of going to school on on your throat uh, with with Solo, but my recommendation for a bad pick is the uh, 1998 film soldier starring kurt russell uh which is more of a universal soldier knockoff than a terminator knockoff but the it's it's kind of in that wheelhouse uh, kurt russell plays in an apocalyptic future it's this group of of kids are like raised from birth and trained to be these emotionless killing machines and over the course of the film you know he he gets like like drummed out uh and he like he gets taken in by like these are like mad max kids uh who teach him how to feel and and he like stands up for them and protects him against his own like other terminator like people uh jason lee and his massive neck is in that uh as the bad guys uh the it's it's not great it's directed by the same guy that directed the 95 mortal Kombat. that one uh so what, what's what's it Paul W. One of the Anderson. Paul Andersons. Uh, yeah, there you go. There's like three of those guys, but the, it's the bad Paul Anderson. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. Soldier for my bad pick. Uh, and for my second bad pick, the new RoboCop. Because fuck that movie. Absolute trash. You want to talk about a remake that completely misses the point of the original? That, that one has it in spades. Uh, just that was somebody who saw the name RoboCop and they were like, Hey, that's got brand recognition. Let's make a new one of those. They're like, have you seen the original? No, no, let's do it anyway. Got cop turns into a robot. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, it's, it's so bad and misses the mark by such a wide margin. Uh, but yeah, yeah, those are my, those are my wrecks. Go watch those, or don't. I don't care. Do what you want. You did a pretty good job, I would argue, with like the, that. Succinctly fits the the reduced style. Yeah. I, I would say, yeah. I love your both your good picks. Uh, RoboCop to me, Thomas and I have talked about it elsewhere. I still think RoboCop might be the perfect '80s sort of movie, mm -hmm. um, as far as the excess 
and violence and gore and sexual sexuality and everything that was 80 cinema robocop has it all but it's also incredibly smart satire that, that's a that's robocop to me is a perfect movie um and i really really dig ex machina i i think that's a fantastic film um and uh i like soldier <laughs> i, I kind of like soldier uh it's it's super cheesy uh but i i can't help but like it uh you know yeah it does have jason lee's wide neck but it also has gary Busey's horse teeth uh, <laughs> it, it's <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I kind of like that one. But yeah, the RoboCop remake is just fucking pure, just smegma. It's garbage. <laughs> it, it shouldn't exist. What a fucking waste of money and time. Yeah, I mean, I agree with, like, I think RoboCop is a perfect movie. Um, And I would also say that I think Ex Machina is about as close as you can get to that. I mean, particularly the Oscar Isaac, who I believe you were trying to mention as Poe Dameron. His yes. fucking dance is iconic. <laughs> it's, it's one of the top tier cinematic moments in recent memory. Um, I haven't seen Soldier, so I can't weigh on that debate. Um, And with RoboCop, the remake, I do agree it's bad, but I've at least more forgotten it as opposed to, I would still argue RoboCop 3 is worse. They're still both. (gasps) Oh, I had forgotten that. I had pushed it completely out of my, oh, oh, it's back. Yeah, it's there, isn't it? Oh. Fester there for a second, huh? Yeah. Um, But but still, RoboCop, the remake, I agree, is very bad. It's kind of the epitome of like a dumb, bland forgettable remake that would have come out around particular that time in like 2014 it's it's a pretty dull but uh yeah those are our recommendations and not so big recommendations out there for everybody um and so we'll get to the exit of our show and we'll do our picking at the very end so stay tuned for that but we want to thank some people first we want to thank chris oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show listen to more of his music at chris thanks to uh christian thor lally for our great artwork uh, follow him on night of water that's night like a noble knight with a K uh, underscore of underscore water uh, for all his great art. Uh, he's on Twitter and Instagram for that. And then uh, also thank you to our loyal patrons, our edgelord patrons over at patreon.com slash pod, where for just $1 a month, y'all get to uh, listen to a bunch of bonus podcasts we do and vote on polls for stuff that we cover. And uh, right now, as when this is out, uh, you'll be able to hear On the Edge of Relevance where we talk about F9, which I'm very curious. We still both haven't seen as of this recording. Um, I'm very excited to see that and talk about it a bit further on there. And also, we would have recorded our Top 10 Character Actors episode that will be out by probably the end of this week. Uh, Yeah, that was a fucking the biggest undertaking we've done so far for Patreon, I'd argue. Even the our uh, sort of bracket thing we did about the movie villains, I had a harder time doing the character actors than I did that. Yeah, there'll be a lot to talk about with that particular bonus episode. Like I said, you can listen to that for just $1 a month over on Patreon. But of course, we also want to thank our guest, Mel. Mel, thank you so much for coming on. We loved having you on. Come back anytime. Plug yourself, please. So I am on Twitter at Tangent1985, uh, where I say things from time to time. Occasionally they are funny. Uh, and uh, I am on YouTube uh, at the Tangent1985 channel, uh, where sometimes we do deep dives on some of our favorite and least favorite movies. Uh, we have a couple of series there. We do a series called Best of the Rest, uh, which uh, features one great film from a director who only had one great film. We spotlight that. Uh, and there's another segment uh, where we do one great scene uh, and break that down uh, from uh, some of our favorite films. So, yeah, check me 
and my writing partner and fiance Nicole out on our Tangent 1985 YouTube channel. Yes, I would thoroughly recommend particularly did a great one on uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which I agree with you is a very underrated, underseen movie. And uh, your video uh, spotlights how uh, wonderful it is as a film. Thank you. I appreciate that. But uh, for more of our rinky dink operation over here, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook as at DEDBpod. Uh, and you can also email us, uh, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out for any kind of feedback you have for the show. Um, if you want to support us and you don't want to be a patron monthly, you can just uh, buy some merchandise with our logo on it over at the ESOT Public Store. That'll be down in the description. You'll be able to find the link to that. Or you can fi- uh, buy a t-shirt or a mug or a tote bag with our logo on it. Because uh, it helps out since we get a bit of a kickback from that. So they should do what, Adam? <laughs> Buy our merch. Buy our merch. Yes, I programmed it to do that every single time. <laughs> he has to do it every week, <laughs> and I love it. Um, and for um, more of my own individual stuff, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as at NotTheWho'sTommy. Um, I also do some writing at uh, MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and also Film-Cred.com, including, I'll just plug this one last time, uh, we're recording this the the night of Conan O'Brien's final broadcast, and I put out a little tribute thing uh, talking about how much I love that dude. And it's a bummer that he's not on TV anymore over at FilmCred, film-cred.com. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Atom or Adam. It's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. Um, you know, as we're talking, this fucking guy tangent 1985 just follow me i don't know who the fuck he is but um <laughs> you can also uh, <laughs> you can also find me on letterbox at schwanson that's s-c-h-w-a-n-d-t-s-o-n yes and uh, for more of our antics you can subscribe to us on apple podcast spotify stitcher and other podcasting platforms if you're listening on eso why not dig into all the other great shows on the network or uh, also you can dig into our archives on our Podbean main feed for including about 60 or so episodes before we even started doing stuff with the ESO. And nothing else, if you can't buy the merch or you can't support us on Patreon, the completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or share the show around because that gives us more visibility. That gets more people listening to us and builds up the double-edged double bill resistance. Yeah, I mean, you know, fucking just share the goddamn show. <laughs> it's not that fucking hard. I mean, wait, can't you take a second away from your fucking, like, vaccine is blue lives and blah, blah. Just fucking share the show. Actually, if you're if you're talking about that stuff, don't share the show. I, I don't want to be a fucking, <laughs> fucking jerk-offs. But just, just, you know, hook us up, all right? If you're, if you're cool. We would like cool people to listen to our show. You gotta be rad. Yeah, cool people with empathy. That's the coolest thing you can have. Uh, But but now, Adam, we got in this episode and we'll be doing that by doing our picking. Like I said at the beginning, the way we do this is uh, usually Adam and I each have two movies. uh, Either someone has the two good movies, someone has the two bad ones. We assign them between one and ten for each of our choices. And then either us or a guest picks them between one and ten and that gets us a good and bad feature. Keeping in mind that the Godfather rule is in effect, where basically uh, Adam and I for a whole year, up until May of 2022, has the option to veto one either good or bad choice that we hear. Um, The person will say this particular choice and then ask the person who picked it, hey, do you want to take the cannoli? 
hence the godfather connection and then the person who has the option to will either say no we'll go ahead and go with that choice or actually i will take the cannoli thus the veto goes into effect though that's not the case when a patreon poll is used to pick one of our picks as the case with uh, adam has the two bad choices uh, but our patrons end up choosing our bad pick for non-MCU Marvel films because Black Widow's coming out. We figure, let's revisit Marvel, but let's do it with the movies that aren't in a big interconnected universe. And uh, yeah. our patrons end up picking between Adam's two bad choices, the X-Men Dark Phoenix, and then the ultimate winner, which was Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, which we will be doing. We cannot veto that particular choice. Uh, I have not seen either of the Tim Story Fantastic Four movies, so I'm very curious how that's going to go. <laughs> You're gonna hate your life. <laughs> <laughs> Any more than now. Come on. Uh, a, the pit keeps getting lower. But I have the two good choices. I have assigned number between one and ten for them. So, Mel, if you will do the honor, please pick a number between one and ten for my two good non-MCU Marvel movies. Nine. Okay. So we ended up with, uh, at number eight, um, another post-apocalyptic movie. Um, one that I would argue is probably the best of a very rocky franchise before Marvel got their hands on this property just recently and has yet to do anything with it. But I have Logan for 2017. Ah. Uh, I can already answer your question. I will not be taking the cannoli because that movie's a masterpiece. Yes. Good. Uh, but to be fair, on the other end of that, at number two, I would argue another pretty good sequel. Um, and one that I th would say is pretty close to a masterpiece as well of these movies. I have Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2. Oh, yes. shit. Damn. Win-win either way. Yes, but Logan's still a win. So we'll be covering that and Fantastic Four Rise of Silver Surfer next time. But until then, everybody. Uh, what the fuck are you doing? Putting your light in my way. Da -da 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 -da. I had to reference the ring oh. at some point. Yeah, it's cool. Fuck Edward Furlong. <laughs>